episode 92 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you for another week of Knicks and NBA talk. Where do we start? Where do we start this week? Bit of an up and down week for the Knicks. I think we'll start there later on in the show. Getting maybe a couple NBA stories, including the weird beef involving Kevin Durant on social media. Touch a little bit on that. And we'll do a little stock up, stock down as well. Feels like it's been an episode or two since we've done that. We'll dive back into that later on in the show, probably to wrap things up at the end. But first and foremost, we're talking Knicks at the start. Bit of a a weird week for the Knicks, up and down for sure. We'll start with the ups uh, at the beginning of the week. Uh, For those that listened to last week's show, guys, thanks as always. You guys have been so consistent with that throughout the entire pandemic. Um, You guys know that last week uh, we were recording during a game, and I think the Knicks were down by 15 at the half, something like that, uh, against the Washington Wizard. Wasn't looking too good in the first half. Knicks were, you know, keeping it tight in the first half, uh, sorry, the first quarter, but the second quarter, the Wizards extended their lead had a comfortable 15-point lead at the half, but the Knicks came storming back in the second half, specifically in the fourth quarter, and from 15 down, the Knicks pulled out, at the time, a massive victory over the Washington Wizards, 106-102. to A ton of heroes in this game. You know, that late 13-1 to run kind of made the difference, and, and the biggest hero of the night was Alec Burks, scoring 15 points in the fourth quarter at 27 for the game, crucial down the stretch for the Knicks off the bench, uh, made a couple of huge threes, 9 of 11 from the free throw line, 16 points off the bench from Emmanuel quickly as well, but really, you know, again, with Julius Randle only scoring 13 points, The Knicks starters needed it to come from somewhere else, and R.J. Barrett delivered it. 24 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, and 3 steals in the win. It was really Barrett and Burks down the stretch that were crucial in the game. Randall had 13-9, 4 assists, 1 steal, and the only other player in double figures for the Knicks was Taj Gibson, who had 10 points and 8 rebounds off the bench and the Knicks have needed him for sure obviously now with Mitchell Robinson's uh injury again another injury popping up here and he's likely done for a while Taj Gibson's going to be crucial to this Knicks team with Nerlens Noel who did not play in the Wizards game due to a right shoulder injury so they're going to need him off the bench and luckily he's got the coach that's trusted him the most in his career in Tom Thibodeau giving him the confidence to continue to play well off the bench so at the time this was a big win for the Knicks to get back above 500 they didn't play well in the first half against a team they should beat. you know Russell Westbrook was having a big night for the Wizards as was Bradley Beal but in the end the Knicks pulled it out and listen the first half belonged to to Beal and Westbrook and Hachimura and Matthews you know really the Wizards got almost all of their points from their starting five 19 of their 102 came off the bench from only two guys so it was really crucial for them especially in the first half the starters played well 
for the Wizards, but it was the bench depth of the Knicks that came back and got the win in this game. Obviously, R.J. Barrett was crucial, but it was really Alec Burks and Emmanuel Quickly's contributions throughout the night, and obviously Burks specifically with 15 fourth quarter points to give the Knicks a four-point win. So the Knicks, at the, at the time, a game over 500, now have to go to Milwaukee. And this felt like a game that if the Knicks could take it, they'd have a you know some big momentum on their side. It felt like a game, obviously the Bucs had gotten revenge over the Knicks earlier in the season. For a game, the Knicks won very early in the season over the Bucs. And they were, you know, one and one between the two. And this was kind of the game to kind of settle things. And the Knicks played like they were right there with the Bucs. Specifically in the first quarter, outplaying Milwaukee, taking a seven-point lead into the second quarter, and then holding on to that lead, a three-point lead going into the half. And then the Knicks just kind of kept the Bucs within arm's length in what turned into a pretty back-and-forth game. Obviously, the Bucs were without Giannis Antetokounmpo and three other injured starters. But still, the Knicks pull out a 102-96 win, took advantage of it. And listen, you know, it was a balanced scoring night. You know, keep in mind as well, the Knicks did not have Julius Randle in this game. So the Knicks were a little shorthanded as well, but R.J. Barrett and Alec Burks, both starting in this game, 21 points apiece, and then Rosen quickly, we still haven't, still have yet to come up with a good nickname for those two, Rosely, we'll, we'll come back to it, 13 apiece for both of them, and it, they were crucial points, obviously, very, very important down the stretch, I think it helped in this game to have Alfred Payton back to pick up some of the slack as well, Gutty game from Nerlens Noel off the bench. Got to see a nice dunk from Obi Toppin, who continues to show every once in a while in short spurts some, uh, you know, some promise and a big boost for for the Knicks in a 102-96 win. Both teams did not have their best player. Obviously, the Bucks a little bit more banged up, but the Knicks had guys coming back off of injuries. You know, it's not like the Knicks were at full strength either. Although the Bucks, you, again, you can argue the Bucks had less to work with, but the Knicks still had, you know, to show against a deep team that they could take advantage of that, and they did, so listen, despite, you know, obviously no Middleton, no Giannis, no Holiday, and no DiVincenzo, Knicks, Knicks were not exactly at 100% either, they still pulled out the victory, 102-96, uh, Giannis's younger brother, Thanasis Antetokounmpo, had 23 points, Jordan Wara, formerly from Louisville, had 21 uh, Brooke Lopez was solid with 12 and 10, and then, you know, despite a decent performance from the bench, Mamadi Diakite, Pat Connaughton, Bryn Forbes, uh, 8, 12, and 10 between them, not enough. The Knicks get the win, 102-96. I felt like it was a big win at the time, obviously, without Julius Randle, for the, from the Knicks' standpoint, taking advantage of, of a team that was banged up, it's very good, and I'm thinking now that, you know, hey, this is a chance for a really good week for the Knicks going into the next podcast. Cause I, I do my scheduling for this stuff on podcast time, obviously. So I'm thinking, all right, Knicks are two and zero in this podcast week. They're feeling good. They got a nice win over the Bucks. you know, starting to get a little healthy, obviously. And then the heat game 
comes around. This is where the week kind of takes a turn for the worst in some ways for the Knicks. Obviously, the Mitchell Robinson news has come out that he's not available moving forward. The Derrick Rose interview was really a tough watch. I know it was for me, but it also was for many other Knicks fans, I'm sure, as well. Uh, really difficult to see that. And obviously, when, when, you know, can't say for sure when he's going to be back, but it doesn't look like he'll be a big part of the Knicks the rest of this season at all. So for the time being, the Knicks had to, you know, quickly adjust and Miami came in and took advantage of the Knicks a little bit in the third game of this week. And the the telling quarter, again, it seems like anytime the Knicks lose, this ends up being the telling quarter. But in a 98-88 heat win at the Garden, it was a third quarter barrage from Miami that turned out to be the difference. Jimmy Butler had 27. Bam Adebayo had 20 and 17 rebounds in the game. Can't let that happen. And Duncan Robinson had four three-point makes. Not a good sign when all three of those things are the case. And it gets even worse with Tyler Hero. 18 points off the bench. All four of probably the most important Heat players playing well. And you're not going to beat Miami many times when all four of Butler, Adebayo, Robinson, and Hero are playing well. So regardless, it's a win for Miami. The Heat, uh, you know, again, that 39-21 to third quarter really was the difference. Again, the Knicks recovered after a poor first quarter and actually had the lead going into the half. They had a big run in the middle of that second quarter that kind of turned the tide in the game. And they couldn't sustain it going into the third quarter. And the Heat not only took the lead, but took control of the game going into the fourth. And the Knicks couldn't find a way to make it up in the fourth quarter. It doesn't help that only three Knicks players were in double figures. 22 from Julius Randle, 16 from a a very strong performance from Derrick Rose, including three triples. And then a decent performance from Emmanuel Quickly, who chipped in with 12 off the bench, but a really poor uh, shooting night from R.J. Barrett, only eight points in 32 minutes. Uh, Reggie Bullock, very rare poor shooting night from him. Uh, Alfred Payton getting a little bit more minutes, didn't do a ton offensively, only one assist and five points, um, despite no turnover, still not great. And then obviously you're hoping the bench, you know, can pick you up. Rosen quickly gave you 28 but the rest of the bench combined only gives you 14, and that's not going to be enough when the uh, when the starter is only one player in double figures. Not going to be enough. So in the end, a 10-point loss for the Knicks, and again, to be fair, against a Miami Heat team that is better than them and is healthy now for the most part, and still without Victor Oladipo, who's not with the team at the moment, and obviously Kendrick Nunn was out with an injury as well. But regardless, you know, the, the, the core pieces of the Heat were there, and the Knicks couldn't figure it out. So it was you know, a tough loss to take at the time, with specifically obviously on top of the Mitchell Robinson news. But again, you know, difficult to, to see, you know, most of the starters struggle from the field. And despite, you know, again, really, because you don't expect much more than what he gives you, but eight eleven from Nerland Stowell, you'll take that. One hundred percent. But Reggie Bullock Alfred Payton and RJ Barrett can't combine for 16 points. You're just not going to win many games doing that. You know, and, and Julius Randle again, 22, 8, and 3 assists gives you another pretty solid game. 
you got to have more from the rest of the starters. And and again, you, you got a decent amount from the bench enough to win the game. But when the starters only give you that much, can't, can't, can't expect to win. Can't expect to beat a good team like the Miami Heat when the, when the contribution is split up like that uh, offensively. So again, the Knicks defensively gave themselves a chance to win. Holding Miami to under 100 points, you, if you're Tom Thibodeau, you'd expect to win. You would expect to win holding Miami to 98 points at home. You'd expect to win that game. But offensively, the Knicks didn't do enough, and they ended up suffering the 98-88 loss. Again, Miami, very good defensive team. They have something to do with that 100%. But when the Knicks do their job defensively, you know this is a team that's expecting to win now. You know, you, you'd expect to get a win out of that game, especially at home. So, tough one for the Knicks to take. It would get tougher uh, later in the week. Last game before this show, difficult road game to take for the Knicks, obviously. Um, this felt like a, a perfect opportunity for the Knicks to bounce back after a tough loss against Miami. And they had two big chances in this game to do just that. I mean, they really did. Um, and, and you know, watching the game and then watching the highlights back, I, I just it felt like the Knicks kind of gave this game away. It, it did. It, it did feel like that a little bit to me. Um, listen, the Knicks came out in the first quarter were pretty strong. I, I, I thought they made a bit not you know not a, not a marquee statement, but they were. You know, they came out and they played. They played well. They had a good response in the first quarter, and then gave it all back in the second quarter. You know, you have a seven point lead going into the second quarter, and you give it all back, and it's tied going into halftime. Or, or sorry, one point Nick lead, I should say, going into uh, to halftime. That was a chance for the Knicks to really expand on the lead, and they did not take advantage of it. But again, listen, they come out in the third. They're really good again. They out they out uh, score the Timberwolves by ten in the third, and you're thinking, all right, go on from here, win the game, and the Timberwolves come back in the fourth, outscore the Knicks thirty-two to twenty in the fourth. And eke out, I mean, eke out a 102-101 win. Anthony Edwards was crucial in this game for Minnesota. 24 points, three uh, three assists, three steals, and three blocks. Carl Anthony Towns was fantastic, 18, 17, and 6. It, it, it was a difficult, it's a difficult one to take because the Timberwolves, despite their talent, they stink, man. They're not good. They're the worst team in the NBA. I mean, they, they really have been for most of the season. Um, They, they have a couple teams vying to take it back. I'll, I'll give you that. But, and to be fair, this kind of game, this kind of talent is why I expected the Timberwolves to be a lot better this year. But they're not. You can't have two quarters where you regain control of a game against a 12-win team this late in the season and give it back twice. You know, again, it's on the road, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The Knicks had two big chances in the second quarter and in the fourth quarter to put this game away, and they did not do it. So these are the kind of things that a young team has got to figure out. We've seen it against some of the better teams in close game situations. The Knicks have not executed sometimes down the stretch. Other times they have, but many times they have not. It has not been consistent that way. And this, But this was a different kind of game where the Knicks had it. They had it in their hands twice. 
once after the first quarter and once after the third quarter where you're thinking now's the time you've got the momentum step on the gas put the game away and the Knicks did not do that listen they had some great performances in the game Julius Randle was fantastic getting back into form 26 and 12 he was phenomenal 23 points on a really efficient shooting night from RJ Barrett Alec Burks gave you closer to what you're expecting from him off the bench with 13 points but then it was 10 points combined between Toppin Gibson and quickly and quickly didn't have a bucket in this game 04 from the field 02 from deep the Knicks really could have used a, a you know frankly just a mediocre quickly night and they win this game easily so difficult to take for that as well um Alfred Payton despite 17 points five rebounds and three assists I have to say made some crucial mistakes down the stretch and, and listen I know a lot of Nick fans are beating him up uh, and have beaten up in the past I've told you to calm down a little bit to be fair you know this was you know this was a time where Alfred Payton really could have stepped up for the Knicks in the latter stages of the fourth quarter and and wasn't able to do enough uh, Reggie Bullock had 10 points uh, made a couple of threes so again the Knicks really could have used I thought Derek Rose in this game not having him available I think really hurt the Knicks and then quickly you know not giving you what you wouldn't what we've come to expect from a really talented rookie not there and again to be fair as a whole Alfred Payton's performance was solid but in the fourth quarter he made too many mistakes down the stretch that in the end did cost the Knicks the game to a certain extent again you could point fingers all you want but when it's the point guard making the mistakes it's tough to ignore it's tough to ignore those kind of miscues down the stretch so listen I'm not trying to put any extra heat on Alfred Payton but it is a point guard's job in the fourth quarter to control what happens to a certain extent especially on a team like the Knicks where a lot of guys are expected to make things happen and in in the last five minutes specifically you know Alfred Payton really really did not come up you know didn't come up looking great for the Knicks down the stretch so had a couple of crucial turnovers in in the last uh, few minutes of the game, uh, specifically around the six minute mark and the five minute mark where the Knicks had the lead, and in the end, uh, Minnesota comes from behind and really in the end, you know someone had to make a big shot for Minnesota and it was Malik Beasley with 37 seconds to go that ended up being the difference maker. So and then the Knicks did listen. The Knicks had a chance. They got a decent look. Uh, Julius Randle missed a shot from about 14, 15 feet out, something like that, with about 12 seconds to go. Uh, missed it. And the Knicks had to foul, and that was it. So, you know, didn't get... Or I should say, I should say, they were going to foul, but the uh, the, <laughs> the Timberwolves uh, threw the ball back. Knicks called a timeout. Um, and drew up, a, again, drew up a decent play, but... RJ Barrett had to take a really tough shot uh, in the last seconds and missed it. So Knicks had opportunities despite the problems with Peyton at times late in the fourth. You know, the, the Knicks had opportunities despite no quickly as far as points and and contribution offensively is concerned, at least on the score sheet. Still had opportunities to beat Minnesota and didn't get it done. So it's frustrating. Probably the honestly, and it's it's actually part of me feels, you know, somewhat good that I'm saying this. I, you know, 
this late in the season, this is probably the worst loss the Knicks have had maybe all year. It's up there. Because this, this is the first time where a team the Knicks should have beaten, they let it kind of slip away. Now, that's not a good sign. I'm not saying that. But we, we would have been saying this, you know, in, in the, my God, you know, November most years. So that you got to keep it in somewhat of a perspective. But again, the Knicks have got to bounce back from this 100%. And we'll talk about this a little bit in the second half of the show. But the Knicks schedule is very difficult going into the month of April. We've talked about this specifically at the start of April. There are some winnable games, but there's some tough, tough stretches coming up for the Knicks in the month of April, specifically towards the end. And then obviously we know the really wild end to April and then the really weird beginning of May as well that finishes up the regular season. So listen, it's it's a bad loss, two, t- two tough losses in a row for the Knicks to take. But if we've known anything about this team all year, they've developed that gene of bouncing back. So obviously the Knicks have Dallas on Friday, when the podcast goes out, let me know what you guys think of the last week for the Knicks. Obviously, two and two. So in the grand scheme, not bad. They didn't lose any ground in the standings, but it's the way they lost the two games that, you know, obviously the Knicks have to improve. And obviously they're dealing with injuries, guys, in and out of the lineup. No Derek Rose. Remember for all of this, for part of this week as well, that hasn't been helpful. So, you know, the Knicks are dealing with a lot of these kind of things in a COVID world like everybody else. So, We'll see how it is moving forward, but obviously the Knicks will be looking to bounce back on the Friday when this podcast goes out as you're listening to it right now. At home, big game, KP returns against Dallas. So we'll see how that goes at MSG. Again, hope the crowd is ready for that one. It should be a lot of fun. So and hopefully the Knicks can bounce back and get back on track as they look to you know, continue to push for, for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. All right, let me take a quick break here. When we come back, We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the schedule because uh, I didn't fully wrap that point up. But then we'll talk about the Durant beef and we'll play a little stock up, stock down, and maybe a few other checked boxes as well as we talk Knicks and NBA and more coming up next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Second half of the show this week, guys. Let me dive quickly back in to the schedule. I just want to quickly get this part out of the way just to put a little bow on it before we move on to some of the more interesting stuff this week. Um, again, Dallas, when you get when you guys start listening to this podcast on the Friday, so we won't be touched on that game until next week. But then, you know, it's a, it's a tough three-game road trip. This is kind of where the, the schedule quickly turns uh, for the Knicks, obviously a winnable game at Detroit, but then, a, you know, and again, another, you know, big game at Brooklyn, another grudge match kind of game where again, and for all we know, I think Kevin Durant might actually be back for that game. He's kind of getting close. So it's a big game. You know, the Knicks feel like they should get some revenge for the, for the crazy missed travel, or I should say the ridiculous travel call against Julius Randle at the end of the last game in Brooklyn. They'll feel like they deserve a little bit of revenge for that game. We'll see how the Knicks handle that, if they can get some revenge on Brooklyn and get another uh, strong win in the division this year. Knicks only have one divisional win, by the way, this year. It was against Boston earlier this season. So they're hoping to get one over Brooklyn as well. Then they go back to Boston, where Boston's going to be looking for some revenge after the Knicks swept aside the Celtics earlier this year at TD Garden. So we'll see how that one 
goes as well. So three tough games for the Knicks, specifically the latter two, uh, as they're trying to get back on track in the Eastern Conference, trying to keep pace and maybe get ahead a little bit for that Eastern Conference playoff seeding. So we'll see how that goes, obviously. And then some winnable games. Obviously, Memphis at home, Toronto at home. You'd expect the Knicks to get those. Lakers at home, not going to be easy, depending on the injury situation with AD and LeBron, obviously. But regardless, it's still a good team. And then New Orleans and Dallas away, New Orleans at home. Then Charlotte, Atlanta, Toronto, Phoenix, Chicago at home. That six-game homestand, crucial for the Knicks in the month of April. Really, really big that the Knicks do well during that six-game homestand because May opens up with a six-game road trip that is just a road trip from hell out west. Memphis, sorry, Houston, Memphis, Denver, Phoenix, LA Clippers, LA Lakers, and then the Knicks have three at home, San Antonio, Charlotte, Boston, to finish the regular season. So that's the schedule for the rest of the year at the moment. But for right now, obviously, the Knicks are trying to bounce back as you'll listen to the podcast on the Friday against Dallas. So we'll see how the Knicks handle it. Obviously looking to, uh, you know, right the ship after... And again, articles have been written about this. There's been speculation about it on Twitter. You know, the Knicks not finishing games off the way they should. It's one of those things. You know, we and we talked about it a little bit in the first half of the show, but this is what a young team has to do. That they, they had two opportunities to put a really bad Minnesota Timberwolves team away, and they were not able to do it. You know, and again, there's been other games where they have been able to get the stop they need or, or go on the run that they've needed to go on. But you even look at the Miami game the signs of it there when the Knicks went on that big run in the second quarter they really could have used that momentum in the third to get maybe extend the lead and make it really tough for Miami to come back but they let Miami come right back in the third regain the momentum have a monster third quarter and then it was the Knicks playing catch up in the fourth and they ran out of time so those are the kind of things a young team needs to figure out but again shuffling around the lineup a little bit with injuries and the bench having to be changed up quite a bit due to, due to a few different factors hasn't helped but regardless Tom Thibodeau is not going to use that as an excuse he will still expect his team whoever's out on the floor to perform so that's and that's the culture we hope to have with this Knicks team it's what's been developing this season so it's one of those things that we're hoping continues to get better but it is something worth addressing because if the Knicks do make the playoffs these are the kind of things you'll have to remember as the Knicks will try to push to, to make a run into the NBA playoffs if they get there. So those are the things we're bringing up at the moment, you know, for two reasons. One, it's a little bit of a slow week, not a ton to talk about, but also, frankly, it's because these these are important factors in games that that, that separate the good teams that are up, up and coming from the established teams that make runs for championships in the playoffs. So that's where the Knicks are aspiring to get to at some point under coach Tom Thibodeau. And, that, and that's at some point the jump they will have to make. So we'll see how they do with that the rest of the season. But for right now, just about bouncing back and hopefully bouncing back in a big way on the Friday when this podcast goes out at home to Dallas. All right, let's quickly get into this Kevin Durant uh, story real quick. It, it's a story in, in a rare week where there's not a lot to talk about outside of the Knicks. You know, the NBA news this week wasn't bountiful. There wasn't a ton to get to, but as I tend to do on this show, a couple of people messaged me about this and were curious my thoughts, and that makes me more inclined when there's not a lot to talk about 
to bring it up a little bit. So this got a little nasty. Um, it involves Kevin Durant and actor Michael Rappaport. And, you know, Michael Rappaport, I, I, he's a Nick fan, I think, right? I'm pretty sure he is. I've gone back and forth on that, on his fandom for a while now, because he, he, you know, he's a, he's a quote unquote Nick fan, but then some of the stuff he says, I, I don't know where he's at, uh, in general, but basically he got into heated words. He always does to try to get attention on social media. Um, so basically originally Rappaport released images and this is, I'm getting this from the Seattle times and AP here released images of the private messages he had on his Twitter account with Kevin Durant, and they included homophobic and misogynistic language, apparently. So Durant, with the comments being released, I believe, and again, the comments were said by Durant, according to what Rappaport released, said, quote, I'm sorry that people, I'm sorry that people seen the language that I used. That's not really what I want people to see and hear from me, but hopefully I can move past it and get back on the floor, end quote, um, unquote. That's not great from Kevin Durant, if I'm being honest with you. Not a great response. Um, that's not a great apology, in my opinion. That's kind of sweeping it under the rug and and then reminding us, hey, I'll be back from an injury, so you won't have to worry about it anymore. These were pretty nasty comments. And again, not, my, I'm not saying Michael Rappaport is a saint, because he's not. He said some pretty vulgar stuff in his time as well, and, I, and including in this conversation, but... You know, those were some pretty nasty things that Kevin Durant said. So I'm not, I'm not, we have to hold, you know, everyone to a higher standard when it comes to these kind of things. And it's not great that that was Kevin Durant's uh, thoughts on it. Now, the NBA at the time of recording has not waited on this and has not fined Kevin Durant. Uh, Coach Steve Nash, the Nets said the team has discussed the remarks, according to the Seattle Times and AP. And are going to keep the conversation internal. Yeah, that's not great either, in my opinion. Um, obviously, Kevin Durant's close to coming back from a left hamstring injury, so everyone's saying, "Hey, you know, he's going to be." He, that's why he said it. He's going to be. He's like, "I'm going to be back, so he, we can move past this." Blah blah blah. Just focus on me on the court. When then, you know, he. You know, it's funny because he he's been someone that's been very active, as far as saying, you know. You like many NBA players, as far as Black Lives Matter and things like that, then you say stuff like this, and again, I'm not, that does not diminish the Black Lives Matter movement at all, or your or your role in it. But that's not a good look, and it doesn't matter who you're saying it to. Now, Michael Rappaport is a jerk. There's really no getting around that. He's not fun to deal with. I'm sure anyway but you're a public figure. And this is, remember a couple, this might've been months ago now. And I believe I said this on this show, but correct me if I'm wrong. This is the trouble that Kevin Durant runs into on social media. He does not zip it up. He will say what he thinks. And I think he's okay with the consequences because he doesn't get any consequences. You can't be saying this kind of stuff. It's so, it's vulgar. It's so bad. You can't have these kind of things in these conversations because it can get released. 
it's so bad to say. And, you know, Kevin Durant really has not been penalized at all for it. But then, you know, we expect, you know, with other things that are said for, for people to be penalized. I, at some point, you, the, the this has to be addressed. Kevin Durant went on and said, quote, so one of those things where I'm not feeling a ton of pain, but it's just like you don't want to force one of those injuries and go out there and make it worse. In my, in my mind, I can just, I can play. I'm just like, I can play. But then it's also like, you've got to be smart and cautious with this type of injury and blah, blah, blah. He just basically goes on the rest of the interview and brings up the injury, the protocols, stuff like that. Basically does not mention the the tweets again after after his two sentence apology it, it it's not a good look at all it looks terrible on kevin durant's part it really does it really does i i, I really I, it's one of those things where if you're gonna hold everyone to a higher standard then kevin durant has to be held to a higher standard here he can't just get away with saying misogynistic and homophobic comments like this with just an i'm sorry it, you can't have it both ways. You can't. These are when players should be held accountable. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what the punishment is, if any, for Kevin Durant. But this is where the NBA prioritizes its stars a little bit too much. You can't have it both ways. You just can't. Not if we want to make more progress moving forward on all fronts in this country and in the NBA in particular. You can't have it both ways. You just can't. But here we are. Last thing on the docket, one of my favorite games. I hope you guys are enjoying this. For the most part, I've gotten good feedback on this newer segment of the show. But it's time for Stock Up, Stock Down. One team... That's gone up for the stock in the East and the West. And then one that's down in the East and the West as well. Two teams from each conference. One up, one down. It's stock up, stock down. All right, we start in the East. This one was tough this week. Not easy for stock up, stock down. But I'm going to go with the Miami Heat for stock up. I think they're they turned a little bit of a corner. They're getting healthier with with guys on the way coming back, by the way. So the Heat are not fully healthy, but they're getting guys back. They're back to 500. They've won two in a row. I, it feels like Miami could go on a little bit of a run here. I, Charlotte might kind of fade here. That's kind of something I'm looking at at the moment. They're in the four spot, a game ahead of Miami and the Knicks. I feel like Charlotte might start to fade a little bit here they've been bitten by the injury bug no pun intended a little bit i could see them fading just a little bit i really could but we'll see you know for right now miami could have a big trajectory in the right direction and move up in the standings so we'll see how that plays out but for right now it's hard not to go with the miami heat for stock up this week in the east it really it's tough they've had a really nice week they're starting to put it together again and we'll see, they're in the five spot right now. They could conceivably get up to that four spot without too much trouble. And then we'll see if they can crack down on those Milwaukee Bucks, who right now, at the moment, are six and a half games up on the Miami Heat 
in third. But for right now, the Heat, you know, should pass Charlotte if both of their, you know, uh, trajectories, the way they've been playing, the form they've been in, if that continues, the Heat should pass Charlotte, and then we'll see what they can do from there. But for right now, the Heat, for me, are stock up. I'd buy a little bit of stock right now in the Miami Heat. Stock down. I didn't expect to be saying this this week. I, for, for me, you know, watching the NBA over the last couple of weeks, I, I or I should say over the last week in particular for this stock up, stock down, I thought for sure I'd be saying the Toronto Raptors. They've lost nine of their last 10. They've lost four in a row. But we kind of expected that. I mean, they've really, they've basically given up on the season after a terrible start. They recovered and then they just have been at rock bottom for almost a month and a half now. It's been really bad from the Raptors. But somehow Chicago, it's been almost as bad, if not worse. And they went for it at the trade deadline. They just have not been able to put it together and now the the bulls have lost seven of the last 10 they've lost five in a row and the bulls went from being right there in the mix for a playoff spot to now not only being three games back of the celtics but three and a half back of the hawks and not looking like they're gonna be in it i I mean it's remarkable again we could be talking about the the bulls in two weeks and they're back in this no question but in this, you know, in stock up, stock down, we got to look at what we're seeing at the moment. I, stock down on the Bulls out of nowhere, really. I mean, I, I was not expecting with the big trades they made at the deadline, sitting here on April 2nd, thinking, wow, this team is not looking too good right now. And they've, they've lost five in a row. It's remarkable how poor the Bulls have been over the last couple of, of weeks. Now, the biggest the biggest thing for me with the Bulls is they have a really poor home record. So poor that they actually have the most home losses in the Eastern Conference. And they have the second most in the entire NBA. The Bulls this season at home are 9-16. Without a 10-11 road record, they'd be totally out of it in the Eastern Conference. So really wild with with what's going on right now in Chicago specifically and they need to start turning it around quickly or they could be very much out of the race going deeper into the month of April. So we'll have to see what happens, but for right now it's a big stock down for the Chicago Bulls in the East. All right, shifting over to the West. And I feel like I haven't given this team enough love to be honest with you my first inclination here was to go with the trailblazers they've won four in a row seven of their last 10 they've turned it up again they're up to the sixth spot in the west could conceivably get up to the fourth spot if the lakers keep trending down and if they can outlast the denver nuggets who are tied with them right now at 29 and 18 but i have to say and this might be a little bit of a guilt trip on my part because i've not given this team a lot of credit over the last couple of weeks and certainly over the last couple of stock up stock downs but i think it's time to put some stock up on those utah jazz we talked about them as honorable mentions time and again on stock up stock down it's time to put them in the driver's seat they're the first they're the best team in the west they're 36 and 11 at this point in the season that's the best record in the entire nba 
They're three games up of second place on the Phoenix Suns. We gave some love to last time on Stock Up, Stock Down. They haven't done anything wrong. They, the, the, the Suns have kept winning since the last time we played Stock Up, Stock Down. But the Jazz have just had a much better stretch. They've won seven in a row, eight of their last ten. They're 20-2 and two at home, which is by far the best record at home in the West and by far the best record at home in the entire NBA. The second best home record in the NBA belongs to the to the Philadelphia 76ers who are 19 and 4. That's really impressive. And and the Jazz have been just as diabolical on the road, 16 and 9 this season away from Salt Lake City. So it's been a really really good season for Donovan Mitchell and company. They look like a team to be to be reckoned with right now in the West. We'll see how it goes in the playoffs. The Jazz have been very Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, in the last four or five years now in the NBA playoffs, they obviously did not survive the first round in the bubble despite putting up a heck of a fight, but we'll see. Right now, they're in the driver's seat for the first spot. They're five games up on the Clippers, and they're six and a half up on the injury-depleted LA Lakers. So Utah's in good position right now. It's time to buy some stock in those Utah Jazz, 100%. Stock down. Good news for Stockdown fans, the Houston Rockets have finally ended their franchise record 21 or whatever the heck it was, game losing streak. So they're not stocked down this week. They've done it, guys. They have, <laughs> they've done it. Houston Rockets finally dodged the Stockdown bullet in the West. I think I had them at Stockdown two times in a row. Could have been three if that losing streak continues. Now, to be fair, they have a two-game losing streak. But we're going to lay them off this week. And the team that takes their place, and I hate to do this because, to be fair, the West, no one's in terrible shape right now. Just, you know, again, besides Houston overall and then, and then Minnesota. But I'm actually going to go with the Memphis Grizzlies a little bit here because they've been a little bit up and down, a little bit Jekyll and Hyde. It was, for me, it was between them and and the Kings, but the Kings have won seven of the last 10 overall. So in the last two weeks, they've been okay. Memphis has been much more up and down, getting inconsistent. I I don't know where I'm at right now with the Memphis Grizzlies. Again, Golden State was another candidate, but Steph Curry's expected to come back. I don't want to put them in stock down because they're going to be, they could be stock up in a couple of weeks with Curry back in the lineup so it's it's this one is tough in the west because again here's the other thing to consider out of the eight teams in the playoffs at the moment all but two of them are on a winning streak right now so it's tough to to kind of go that way but with the west as deep as it is i have to go with memphis because when you look at their last 10 games again they're five and ten so again up and down but more specifically they have not been playing great at home now back down to 11 and 14 at home. They actually have a better road record than they have as a, a than a home record, and obviously the fan situation has something to do with that, I would think. But also, you know, you just look at the way they've played in the last few games. It's tough to put Memphis in a great position right now. So listen, they're not out of it. They're actually still even in the, in, in the division race. They're only two and a half back of dallas but their only win last week was against the rockets so and to be fair their two losses were against the utah jazz and before that they were on a three-game winning streak but they've just been 
little too Jekyll and Hyde for me. And a lot of wins, then losses, then wins, then losses, then a couple wins, then a couple of losses. Going back, I mean, even going back to January, a lot of Jekyll and Hyde for Memphis. So I'm going to go a slight, not, I'm not slamming them like I will with Houston if they, if they start losing again, but, or lose more, I should say. They've been losing a lot this year. But the, the Memphis Grizzlies are my stock down because just because of the inconsistency we've seen from them over the last couple of weeks. Now, again, don't make that seem like this is not a dangerous team. They are very dangerous if they get into the playoffs. This is a team that could be very, very good. And to be fair, you know, I'm not saying that San Antonio's got that eight seed locked up, not by any stretch. It's only a two-game differential. And I'm telling you, Golden State, I could easily see going on a run and maybe getting up to the eight or even the seven spot, depending on how Dallas continues moving forward. But I'm giving it to the Jekyll and Hyde Memphis Grizzlies at the moment. Well, again, they're good enough to make the playoffs. They have that good of a team. Can they figure it out? That's going to be the question mark with them moving forward. Because you know, you guys know this. I love me some John Morant. I've interviewed John Morant when he was in college. Great kid, amazing talent, great guy and great player by all accounts. But can his Grizz figure it out? You know, can the guy, can that supporting cast give him enough to get into the playoffs? They just missed out last year. They can't be this can, this inconsistent. They expect to get there this year. And John Morant's, you know, you know, another another full year, right, under John Morant. Can they get there? We'll have to see how that happens moving forward in year two with John Morant running the point. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the show, as always. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you have a good week. Until then, I will see you guys next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.